So page 44, Luke 12, verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But Jesus said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of one's possessions. And he told them a parable saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Thanks, Paul. Where's... Now, you might find it useful to um, have the, uh, the handouts in front of you um, because uh, there you have a, a sort of a, an outline of where we're going in the next next few moments. And do keep the uh, the Bibles open, the Luke's Gospels open as well. Look, you, uh, you can't watch the television news or look at these social media news feed for long without being confronted by, by death and destruction. Especially at the moment with the uh, appalling events unfolding in Israel and Gaza before that and still continuing, we mustn't forget the war in Ukraine. And apart from war, you know, it was only uh, fairly recently that we saw images of floods right across Britain and across Europe, people losing their lives as a result of uh, Storm Babette, another storm on the way. Um, a few weeks before that, um, an earthquake in Af Afghanistan, uh, one in Morocco before that, earlier in the year, Turkey. Death is all over the news all the time. This week, um, you know, um, it's even been in sport. So uh, the funeral of Sir Bobby Charlton. Last week, the tragic death of an ice hockey player, Adam Johnson, after a collision with another player, resulted in a skate cutting his neck and him dying. And of course, it doesn't need to be newsworthy for death to hit us. Uh, my wife, Caroline, got a call uh, from a friend just the other week with the news that her friend's dad had died. And over the weekend, I spoke to another friend of ours, um, whose husband died following a stroke. Now, death is not a subject we like talking about, um, but it's all around us. And because it gets us all at the end, we'd be wise to give it some serious thought. And not least of all, to consider how the inevitability of the grim reaper catching up with us should actually shape our attitude to wealth. Now, that is the issue in the, uh, in the passage that we just had read this week. Now, the first point on the handouts, if you're following along the situation, Look with me at Luke chapter 12, and verse 13. Jesus speaking to a crowd of people. And for the second time in this section of Luke's gospel, if you were here last week, you'd have seen it. For the second time, he's heckled. And a bloke in the crowd um, who's recently come face to face with death shouts, verse 13, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Yeah, someone in this fellow's family has died and... And when the will was read out, it resulted in an almighty row between him and his brother. And now they're arguing about who gets Granny's clock and her antique sideboard. 
And this aggrieved brother wants Jesus to act as a judge in the small claims court. But Jesus says, that's not my job, mate. I mean, that's my translation. But um, he basically says, that's not my job, mate. I'll leave that up to your solicitors to sort out. See, at verse 14, man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And then he turned to the crowd. And verse 15, he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of one's possessions. It is a fascinating moment. In the verses before this, you can uh, chase it up later when you're on your own. Before this man shouted out to the crowd, Jesus has been talking about the most important issues of life and death and heaven and hell and forgiveness and being right with God. And all this bloke can think about is the will and his share of it. And so you see in verse 15, Jesus says, take care, watch out. Be very careful that you don't reduce life to being about nothing much more than accumulating stuff. Jesus says life is about so much more than family heirlooms and money in the bank and a big house and a fancy car and fine dining and first class travel. And he says death of all things should make you realize that. And to make the point, Jesus then tells a brilliant story, which begins in verse 16. And the second point in the handout, the story. Now, I love this story. But before we dive into it and really look at it, let me ask you, who, who do you most aspire to be like? You know, who do you look up to in life? Who would you uh, find yourself looking up to and thinking, I would love to be in their shoes? I wonder who it is, uh, uh, perhaps a successful businessman or woman, um, a social media influencer, or if you're into the celebrity culture, you know, a sporting car star, royalty, a Hollywood actor, you know, the sort of person that appears in, in OK or Hello magazine. Um, who do you most like to be like? Well, let me assure you, this isn't mine. I borrowed it from this. Um, now, anyway, who is it that you, um, that, you, that you look at and think, I would love to be in their shoes? Now, I asked that question before diving into this story, because I reckon this in this story, we meet somebody who many of us would like to be like. Take a look at verse 16. Jesus told them a parable, saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I'll do this. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I'll store all my grain and my goods. It's harvest time. And in the story, um, uh, it's the story of a very successful farmer a farmer who gets a bumper crop, an unexpectedly enormous yield. And so he built bigger barns. And a, a good friend of mine, actually, a mutual friend of, of, of Wes and I, he calls this man Successful Barns because he says he was successful and he built barns. Okay, Successful Barns. So that's what we're calling from now on. So it's harvest time and Successful gets a better harvest than he expected. And before he knew it, he reached the point that most people only ever dream of, total financial security. In city terms, he's, he's an entrepreneur who spotted an opportunity to make a fortune, and then he's grabbed it with both hands. He's taken his idea into the dragon's den, and all the dragons have loved it and offered him all the money he asked for, and for a very small stake in his company. And in no time, the idea has flown. He's made an absolute fortune. His business outperforms all his competitors. He's so successful, he features in the New Year's Honours list, and he's knighted by His Majesty. In terms of wealth, he's Sir Jim Ratcliffe of Ineos or Selena Blamatnik of Warner Music, men worth more than £25 billion. That's successful Barnes. And so having planned and worked hard, the time arrives when, verse 19, he said to himself, you have ample goods laid up for many years, relax, eat, drink and be merry. He's living the dream. With not a financial worry in the world, with no need to ever work again, he takes early retirement um, before he's 50. In, um, in Hello magazine, there's a picture of him standing outside his mansion and next to his Aston Martin DB11. 
under the picture, the text reads, Sir Cecil Barnes, who retired earlier this week, and it has him quoted, I'm going to take life easy, I'm going to eat, drink and be merry. See, that's verse 19. Now, I don't know, know about you, but as I look at him, I think I would love to be in Sir Cecil's shoes. Can you just imagine not having any financial worries to worry about ever again? And you see, wanting to be in his shoes is what makes the first line of verse 20 so devastating. God, his creator, says to Sir Cecil, you fool, this very night your soul is required of you. So he's at his retirement party. The last guests have just left. It's been a marvellous evening. Everyone congratulating him on such a brilliant career. And as the catering staff are clearing up, his wife retires to bed and he says to her, I'll be up with you in a moment, darling. He wanders into the drawing room, pours himself a brandy. The congratulations from friends and colleagues still ringing in his ears. There are holiday brochures on the coffee table for safaris and cruises that he's planning to go on. The brochure that really takes his, his eye is the... Um, the brochure for the Bentley that he's going to take delivery of on Monday morning. And as he picks it up, he says to himself, you've done it. You've retired early. Uh, you've plenty laid up for yourself for years and years and years. Now, Seth, enjoy life, my son. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and... And suddenly there's a searing pain in his chest and he's dead before he hits the floor. See, that's verses 19 and 20, isn't it? So Cecil says, verse 19, I'll say to my soul, soul, you've ample goods laid up for many years, relax, eat, drink and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. So they hold a memorial service for him. In their eulogies, chief execs from the city say what a brilliant entrepreneur he was. His obituary in a time says what a shrewd investor he was. And God says what a fool he was. That's the shock. Many words of praise from the great and the good in the city, but just one word from God, fool, verse 20. And at this point in the story, we have to ask ourselves, do we still want to be in the shoes of successful Barnes? Now, look, it's a story, but it's not a fairy story. I've taken funerals of men like this. I'll never forget the, the words of a tearful widow as we prepared her husband's funeral. She said he worked all his life for his dream retirement cottage in Dorset. They'd even booked the removal van. But he dropped dead before he ever got to live the dream. And this is not just for those who are retiring, who are nearing retirement age. Desperately, death is no respecter of age. I was really struck a few weeks back uh, of the death of Wadira Al-Fayoumi, the six-year-old Muslim boy stabbed in, in uh, a suspected hate crime in a suburb of Chicago. I was also quite struck, again, a couple of weeks ago, of two Swedish football fans killed in Brussels, just gone off to see a football match. It really can happen to anyone, anywhere, at any time, and so quickly. It happened that quickly for my dad, actually. Um, he and mum had spent a wonderful, this was 11, 12 years ago, he and mum had spent a wonderful week, but his dad was talking about um, the plans he had for them to celebrate their 60th wedding anniversary. Two days later, I got a telephone call in the middle of the night from my brother. He was calling from the hospital. My dad died. And that's what happens in the story, totally out of the blue. So Cecil had everything he ever wanted, but now he's dead. And the money? Where did all his wealth go? Well, that's the question at the end of verse 20. I was going to say it's a brilliant question. How wonderful of me to say Jesus asked brilliant questions. But you know what I mean? Brilliant question. Where does all his wealth go? Who knows, it may have gone to a son who was a worthless fellow, blew it all on drink and gambling and broke his mother's heart in the process. I think that's a really important thing to think about because we always say, I want to leave a legacy. Well, we can have loads of money and leave it and somebody can blow it. We can't even be sure of leaving a legacy. 
Now, I don't know what happened to where all the money went, um, but it's quite possible that in no time the money was gone. And desperately, so has what really matters gone as well. And Jesus told this story to demonstrate that when it came to eternity, the rich man was poverty stricken. A wealthy man with nothing. Lost everything in this life and in the next. That's the shock of the story. And that's the third point, the, the, the shock. See, Jesus told this story to make us stop and think. Remember what prompted the story. But in verse 13, the heckler in the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. It really is a remarkable moment. Jesus, as I already mentioned, has been talking about some of the most important issues we could ever be thinking about. Forgiveness and being right with God, life beyond the grave, all that sort of stuff. That's what he's been doing in the verses before. And all the while that he's speaking of those really huge issues, this bloke in the crowd is squabbling with his brother about the inheritance. And believe me, it does happen. But again, I've taken funerals where the atmosphere is very tense. Because, believe it or not, before they've even put their loved one in the ground, the family have fallen out over the will. And that's why Jesus said in verse 15, take care, be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of one's possessions. Jesus says life is not all about stuff. And the story of success all says why. Very simply, because you can reach the point where you have everything you've ever wanted and then you can die. Life can't be about stuff then, can it? So death really should make us think about what really matters. And it should make us think about how we handle wealth. But for these brothers who just actually, this is what is so remarkable, they've just come face to face with death. And rather than tune into what Jesus is saying about death and eternity, their thoughts are only on how much of the inheritance they're going to get. So Jesus says in verse 15, beware of an attitude to life that frankly is nothing more than greedy materialism, if I can put it that way. Jesus told us this story, you see, to lovingly warn us not to make the same mistake as successful. Don't be so foolish by verse 21, laying up treasures for yourself here on earth, but not being rich towards God. See, that's successful, fabulously wealthy, but barely a second thought about God. He was living for himself. Now, I don't mean by that that he was a thoroughly obnoxious man when I say he's living for himself. We don't know what it was like. Jesus doesn't actually tell us. We don't know whether he was a faithful husband or an adulterer. We don't know whether he was a good father or if he beat the children. We don't know if he paid his taxes or found some offshore loophole. We just don't know. But let's not speak ill of the dead, eh? Let's assume he was a reasonable bloke. Oh, not without his faults, because none of us are, but largely a decent bloke, but still a man who rarely gave God a second thought. And, and again, please don't misunderstand this. It's quite possible that if you are successful, if he believed in God, he said, well, yo, yes, yes, I, I think I do. I mean, in Israel, in Jesus' day, the existence of God was not actually in question, you see. So I reckon successful would have gone to church every week. But in his day to day, God had very little to do with the way he lived. Certainly didn't affect the decisions he made or what he lived for. So Cecil didn't live for God. He lived for himself. And you can see that when you look at verse 17. And I'll read verse 17. In fact, as Wes was reading now, he, he helpfully emphasized these words. 
But look at the words I and my all the way through. Verse 17, he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul you've ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be married. Do you hear I and my? He's totally locked up in himself. In many ways, he had everything. He had treasure, he had leisure, he had pleasure, but he didn't have a second thought for the one who gave him all those things. And where did all this wealth come from? Again, it's all in the story. Verse 16, it came from the land. And in Jewish thinking back in the day, that wasn't Mother Earth providing, but our Father in heaven who provided. The Lord blessed the earth to produce this bump crop. Yet there's not a hint of thanks to God from successful. Now, you see, as I read this, and maybe I can gently ask you as well, I, I need to ask, am I the same? Are, are we the same? I think it's fair to say that many of us here in London, perhaps those of us sitting here, I, you'll have to decide that this is true for you. But many of us, I think I put myself in this category, have so much. Certainly compared to the majority of the world we do, we have health and wealth and family and fun and holidays and, and happiness. But how much do we really thank God for it all? And look, I don't like it when people take things from me and don't say thanks. It's just bad manners, isn't it? But worse than that, Jesus says it's very foolish. That's the word, isn't it? Because there is a God and one day I'm going to meet him. So if I never give thanks for the things he gives me, that's really foolish. Um, in September this year, our youngest child, Joshua, who's now 20, got his first full-time paid job. And it was something of a milestone in our family. All three of our children in paid employment. Um, those uh, moments, those sort of milestones make you look back when, uh, when, when they were little. You know, suddenly they're all now looking after themselves. You think, oh, just, it just seemed like five minutes ago they were small. And so I was remembering when Joshua was just a toddler, how he loved playing peekaboo. Now, the rules of the game of peekaboo are very simple, aren't they? Someone hides, then someone else tries to find them. And on being filmed, everyone shouts, peekaboo. You know how it goes. Joshua's rules were a little bit different. You see, 18-month-old Joshua didn't hide. He would just stand in the middle of the room with his hands over his eyes. And I'd say to him, with loads of other people standing around, where's Joshua? And he'd giggle. Where's Joshua? More laughter from Joshua in the middle of the room with his hands over his eyes. I can't see Joshua. Where's Joshua gone? Uncontrollable whoops of laughter from Joshua. Where is Joshua? Can anyone see Joshua? Side splitting howls of laughter from Joshua. His whole body shaking with hysterical guffaws. And when he could stand it no longer, he'd whip his hands away and we'd all say peekaboo. It was very funny. And it worked because Joshua thought when he closed his eyes, because he couldn't see us, we couldn't see him. Hey, I know, it's silly, but it was great fun. He was only a little boy. Of course, what isn't so amusing is how we as adults play peekaboo with God, thinking that because we can't see him, he can't see us. And that's why Sir Cecil was such a fool. Living for himself, not being rich towards God. I'll, um, I'll turn 61 later this year. I can't, I can't believe it. I know you can't believe it, or I can't believe it, because I definitely look 60. But, but still, I can't believe it, because it only seems like five minutes ago that I was leaving school and had the rest of my life ahead of me. And life passes by so quickly, and sooner or later we find ourselves standing before God. And Jesus says here, before death grabs you, make sure you're rich towards God. Don't be like successful ones. Don't be like these squabbling brothers. 
squabbling over their inheritance. They don't live for wealth and stuff and just the things of this life without any thought of the life to come. Because, verse 15, one's life does not consist in the abundance of one's possessions, the house, the holidays, the hobbies, the car, the career, the clothes. That is not what life is about. Well, how about you then? I mean, if you've never done this, uh, how about looking into it, how you could be rich towards God? If you're here for the first time, I don't think any of you are, but maybe online, I don't know. If you're here for the first time, thanks for coming. You're very welcome. Maybe you've been coming for years. You too, of course, are very welcome. And whether you're new to this or been coming around for years, Jesus says at the end of verse 21, be rich towards God. And the good news is that Jesus himself can make us rich towards God. Even when most of our life, all of our life, we've taken all the good things that God has given us and barely given him a second thought. And um, the rest of Luke's gospel tells us how Jesus makes us rich towards God. And with this, I'll, I'll draw to a close. See, if you read through Luke's gospel, and do take it away if, uh, if you've never done this, uh, you'll discover that Jesus lived a life that never ignored God. Unlike successor, Jesus did not put himself first. He always put God first. Jesus was rich towards God. And then at the end of his life, as many of you know, he died on the cross and he said these words, it is finished. In the original language, it's one word, it just paid. The price is paid. It's the word that back in the day would be stamped on an account when it was settled, you know, in red, usually paid. You don't have to pay anymore. Paid in full. So Jesus, who wasn't in debt to God, on the cross paid a debt, the debt that you and I owe that we can't pay. The debt of taking from God, but take, taking no notice of God. Jesus paid for that price, paid that debt on the cross. And so now if we turn to him and follow him, we are made rich towards God and ready to meet our maker. So that if he demanded our life from us today, we wouldn't hear him say, you fool. We'd hear him say, welcome, welcome home. With open arms, he'd welcome us into his kingdom. And we'd then be rich beyond all splendor as he is. Isn't that something? Now, I reckon it's the best news in the world. And as I say, if you've not really sorted these things out with God, then take away the booklet, have a read. And, um, and have a read of this as well, because this will tell you how you can start with Jesus and become rich towards God, even today. For those of us who have already started these things, just two quick thoughts. Um, this surely makes us want to tell people about Jesus. See, our colleagues may have everything life offers. They may look very rich, but before God, whether they realise it, they, they may well be poverty-stricken. And we don't know when they're going to come face to face with Jesus. So we must surely tell them about him. Why not invite them next week? We'll be thinking about the big issue of tragedy. And certainly invite them along to the carol service um, in a few weeks time. And then lastly, surely makes us ask, how are we living? Are we living as people who are rich towards God? We might well have started with Jesus, which is great. But I find myself constantly drifting towards stuff, thinking that stuff will bring me happiness and satisfaction and security. And this just reminds me that's foolish. Well, thanks very much for listening. Enough for me. I'm going to hand back to you, Wes.